Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we examine a passage of scripture and think about what it might mean and what it might call us to do. In today's episode, The Lord Needs It, we're looking at the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, and how we may need to adjust our perspectives on the kind of king we make Jesus out to be in our lives. Let's get started. The story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is one of the few stories that's recorded in all four of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only John's Gospel mentions the waving of palm branches, though, but this day is called Palm Sunday on our calendars for that reason. Now, the timeline of events gets a little fuzzy because each of the gospel writers has their own narrative purpose for why they tell their story in a certain way. But if we follow John's version of events, we learn that crowds had formed to await Jesus in Jerusalem the very next day after Jesus had been anointed by Mary with perfume in Bethany. Now, if you remember this from our last episode, tensions were running very high at this point, especially after Jesus had raised Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus back to life. And so most of the Jewish people fell into two camps, those who believed that Jesus truly was the Messiah sent by God and those who believed he was a troublemaker with a few tricks up his sleeve. Well, that might be understating it because the latter had begun a plot to not just silence him, but to kill him. That's how much of a threat Jesus was to their customs and way of life. Regardless of motive, crowds formed around Jesus everywhere he went, and even more so at this point because they were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover pilgrimage. In Luke chapter 19, we find that Jesus sends two of his disciples on a peculiar assignment in verses 30 to 31. He says, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now, those of you who grew up in the church like me probably think there's nothing really odd about this. But if you dissect it even a little, it's all kinds of odd. First of all, it's not clear yet what Jesus wants with a donkey because it doesn't say he rode a donkey anywhere else, really. But then Jesus doesn't want just any donkey. He asks for a colt. That's like a baby donkey. It hasn't even been tested to see if it can handle a load. What's more, Jesus doesn't say to ask the owner if they could borrow the colt pretty please for a few hours. He just tells his disciples to untie it and if anyone stops them to say the Lord needs it as though that justifies stealing. But this bizarre out of character action of Jesus leads me personally to believe that this had probably been arranged beforehand. The owners of the donkey knew Jesus was coming so much so that the Lord needs it was all the reason they needed. So all this happens, as Jesus said, they bring Jesus to colt, put their cloaks on its back, and Jesus proceeds to ride this little donkey. And as he sets out on the road leading into the city, 
people started to spread out their cloaks on the ground before him. It's kind of like the red carpet treatment of biblical times. As Jesus passed them, the followers of Jesus who were there began to praise God with these words in Luke chapter 19, verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These are wonderful, worshipful words, right? But from the government's point of view, these are not peaceful words. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord is actually derived from Psalm 118, which is a psalm of victory. The people are chanting victory as Jesus comes into town. And what's more alarming is that they replaced blessed is the one that's in the psalm with blessed is the king. And the second part, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, sounds awfully close to what the angels sang the night Jesus was born. The night when the angels proclaimed that the Savior, the Savior of the world had been born. And then back in John chapter 12, the people also shout Hosanna, which means save us. So when you put it all together, this is more or less a political statement. The people are rallying behind Jesus, who in their minds is the savior that the angels had heralded. He would be the king that would rescue the people of Israel from Roman rule, establish their kingdom, and sit on the throne as the rightful king from the lineage of King David himself. After all, this was all taking place during the festival of Passover, which in and of itself was a celebration in remembrance of the day the Israelites had been spared from the plagues in Egypt and eventually freed from slavery. The people who had gathered in Jerusalem were anticipating a similar revolution. Now, Jesus didn't tell them to do these things. In fact, it seems he rode in on a cult for that very reason, to not incite such images. For example, riding in on a horse would have been viewed as an all-out act of war, maybe. But Jesus chose to ride in on a donkey as an emphatic symbol of peace. From the crowd's point of view, though, it seemed like their salvation was here at last. Perhaps the people were remembering Ze Zechariah 9.9 that had prophesied that their future king would be riding in on a donkey's colt. If only they knew that Jesus wouldn't be the kind of warrior king that they had been expecting of the man who could perform miracles and raise the dead. If they had an inkling of who Jesus truly was and what he came to do, their praises that day might have been different, or at least spoken with a different intention. But those cries of political liberation were sung out so loud that verse 39 tells us, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. To them, Jesus responds in verse 40, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Again, those of us who grew up with the story will automatically interpret this to mean, yeah, you can't stop us from singing God's praise, because even if you do, the rest of creation will praise God. But it's much deeper than that. If we read this text from the angle that 
the crowd that had formed to greet Jesus that day weren't just celebrating him, but they were rallying behind him, effectively lodging a protest against the Roman government and crying out for their freedom, then this act of rebuking that the Pharisees were urging Jesus to do and crying out the people were doing hits very differently. See, we don't know if these Pharisees were on Team Jesus the Savior or Team Jesus the Heretic, but either way, these were dangerous things to be yelling out in public. So the Pharisees were urging Jesus to silence the crowd because they were drawing unwanted attention. Because by now, no doubt, it appeared as though Jesus was leading an uprising. Even the few Pharisees who supported Jesus were obligated to the Sanhedrin, the religious authority, so they would be wanting Jesus to not make waves. Keep your head down, Jesus. They're already plotting against you, they might have said out of the corner of their mouths. And the Pharisees who had it out for Jesus? Well, this was just another ridiculous happening, wasn't it? They wanted Jesus to stop making a mockery of their community and proclaiming himself to be the king the people clearly thought he was. And they were right on that account. Jesus would definitely not be the king the people thought he would be. Not that there's anything wrong with hoping for such a king. See, we cry out for similar freedom nowadays too. We earnestly ask Jesus to liberate us from Everything from personal traumas and predicaments to large-scale systemic oppression. These are real. These are not selfish prayers. These are not prayers that will go unanswered. In fact, Jesus knew the depths of those cries so much so that even if they stopped crying out to God or they were silenced from crying out to God, even the stones would testify of their history and pain and would cry out in their stead. The people of Israel had waited for the promised Messiah for centuries, so when they found Jesus and all the words of the prophets seemed to fall into place, they put all their hopes in Jesus, leading them as their victorious king. Now, it is this expectation that isn't met that causes them to quickly turn on Jesus throughout the course of a week. Their cries turn from Hosanna to crucify him because they are so thoroughly disheartened that Jesus wasn't, in fact, the savior they thought they had been waiting for. Except he was, just not the kind of saving that they had expected. Now, we have the benefit of living thousands of years in the future of this text, that we know that Jesus came to be the kind of king that would give his life for the salvation of the world, a king that would serve rather than rule. And because of this, he is worthy of absolute rule. As the only king who can truly govern without any self-serving agenda or injustice, he deserves our praise and cries of Hosanna as we enter into our respective places of worship. Not that the Lord needs it, though. What our Lord Jesus needed in today's story was not the shouts of praise or the cloaks on the floor or the palm branches in the air. All he really needed was a donkey. A donkey that had never before had any specific purpose. Yet riding that donkey 
fulfilled prophecy. Riding that donkey showed he would be a peaceful king. Riding that donkey would be the beginning of his work of salvation on that old, rugged, wretched cross. But more so than the donkey was the fact that his disciples had been willing to fetch it, no questions asked. The willingness of the owner to part with his belonging. So then what the Lord needs of us is not so much anything we have to give, but our willingness to follow, regardless of how nonsensical it may seem to us at the time. Because our obedience shows that we trust God's plan. And as we know, God's plans are perfect. So this Palm Sunday, where do you see yourself in this story? Are you one of the disciples faithfully following through on the things Jesus instructs us to do? Are you the owner of the donkey who is voluntarily parting with something so that it may serve a greater purpose? Are you a member in the crowd who is earnestly crying out to Jesus for help in a time of need? Or another member in the crowd who is turning to Jesus as a last resort? Or a Pharisee who's afraid that being associated with Jesus means trouble? Wherever you find yourself in the story, shift your narrative and own a new one. A story of where Jesus really is your sovereign king. Mind you, not the kind of king that orders you around and controls you, but the kind of king that liberates you from the other things in your life that do control you. Instead of being disappointed that God didn't answer our specific prayer in a specific way, what if we surrendered to the way God does things? Because I assure you, God's ways are better. It may not look that way, I mean, it doesn't make sense that Jesus would ride on a donkey's colt. It doesn't make sense that we should endure the kinds of hardships we do, lose the loved ones we've lost, face the kinds of prejudices that exist, and have our faith and patience tested on a daily basis. But when we look beyond our present circumstances and ask Jesus to be the king of our lives and of our futures, then we will see the true beauty of what it is Jesus came to do on this earth. See, he didn't die on that cross so that we may live more comfortable lives. He did all that so that he may give us true life, one that involves being in the presence of our God without the eternal consequences of sin. And that's something only a king like Jesus could do. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us that you were never what anyone expected you to be because the world had not yet seen the Savior before you entered this world. We constantly place our human expectations on you and our faith falters ever so slightly each time those expectations aren't met. But while you are a champion of the lost and broken, you are the savior of our souls. 
You have given us a far greater treasure than anything in this world could ever be, and that is the treasure of our Savior Jesus, who endured the cross and all its pain and humiliation, such that we may be heirs and children of your kingdom. Jesus, reign in our lives. May we sing our praises and cry out to you, not because you need it, but because you know us so well that if we were silent or silenced, even the stones would cry out on our behalf. Hosanna, Jesus. Save us from anything and everything that inhibit us from placing you in the throne room of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.